Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Andrew Palhidis and Paul DeBruzzo. These guys have been with Rockstar for, I guess it's been about a decade. They started as Rockstar Inner Circle members as young investors in their 20s, buying properties. They stuck around, joined the team, and now have worked with hundreds and hundreds of investors on tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of properties. And we just sat down to catch up with them. What's going on? How are their portfolios going? Uh, what's happening in Turks and Caicos? They bought some property down there. Um, what is the latest on the lessons they've learned developing land and how that whole thing is progressing? So we just have a sit down and a catch up. I really think you're going to enjoy the chat. And if you are listening to this, you have to check out our new website. It's rockstarinnercircle.com, which is our existing URL, but we've updated the entire website. So it's rockstarinnercircle.com. You can check out different stories of investors on there. We have different case studies of Rockstar Inner Circle members and how they've done their investing on there now. So everything that we can share, everything we possibly can think to share is now on that website. And if you wanna register for the next free training class where we discuss the real estate investing strategies that we're using with Rockstar Inner Circle members and investors right across the Golden Horseshoe, you can hit the big link at the top and get, sign up for the, it's, I think it says investor training. I should know this stuff. It's our own website. I should really know. But I think it says investor training and you can grab a seat there or you can go directly to the registration for that at canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Andrew Palhidis and Paul Dabruzzo and uh, my brother Nick Carazza, Nicholas Alexander Carazza will be joining us. And oh, I think I hear him. He's on his way in. But uh, I, we were just talking about before we started recording that how good it is to suffer when you're young. And I think, uh, I, and I think we're all joking aside, you just said you were working with a factory. Nick and I worked with um, our father uh, on construction sites. And if we didn't show up on time, like I think we were scared. I, I was at least scared. And if our father came in to check up on our progress, he was pretty direct in his feedback to us. Like it was terrifying. Well, he was pissed, I, he was pissed off all the time on the job site. So it was just going to be like, what level of pissed off did he get to? Well, well, there, well, there was real consequences. There was real consequences. I remember one time I cut my head because you know my fault. I took my my hard hat off because it was getting hot and we were putting insulation and I stood up and metal studs were cut and I I cut my top of my head because I stood up and I hit the cut metal stud. And it was bleeding pretty bad. So I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got over to the hospital. I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get in crap because I'm going to leave the job site. But I go, this is bleeding like enough that it's like not stopping. It's leaking over my head. I went to the hospital. I came back, told my father why I was gone for a few hours. Lost his mind. <laughs> Completely <laughs> lost his mind that you never leave the job site. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine doing that to people now? Oh, what man. kind of trouble you would get in? Especially Wemis, uh, workplace safety insurance, you'd be in jail. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> especially with video now. Somebody showed their head bleeding and <laughs> this person didn't let me go. But Andrew, what, where did you work? You were talking about you worked in is it a uh, factory? It was just a factory in Brampton. Come closer to yeah, the it was mic. just a factory in Brampton. It was just a steel factory. This is one of those places where it was like you got a sweater if somebody didn't die in 90 days or whatever. It was like 62 days without an injury. 
And these guys would lose fingers. Who got a sweater? Everyone that worked there? Yeah. Oh. Or in that department. Because you couldn't get the whole oh, factory yeah. without an injury. But if you got that department without an injury, you were good. How often did people get injuries? Sounds like a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. I almost lost a finger there. But there was guys with missing fingers. They just kept working. Like they obviously had when lost fingers. When was this? Fingers. How old were you? I was 17. And uh, <laughs> I remember those kinds of factories. You remember what you would say? This, this job site had so many days without yeah. any kind of injuries. They yeah. don't advertise that anymore. But what kind of, you were welding at 17? No, I wasn't welding. It was just, but there was people like shooting, there was sparks and stuff. It was just a steel factory. They made like forklifts and docks for trucks and stuff like that. This was a family job? No, this is just a regular factory. Oh, just so you in just walked in at 17 and applied? No, to my school. dad worked there his whole life. Oh, got it. So got then it. he put me there to, I guess, teach me a lesson. Didn't teach you anything? Yeah. My older cousins worked there. One lasted a half a day and he started throwing up because it's like, there's like this, the toxic smells and stuff, right? And the other one lasted a week. I lasted a summer because I was stubborn. I didn't want to look weak. But uh, it was bad. It's the most valuable skill. Like, it is so important to do. I was telling Tom because his son's going after first year of university. And, like, what is he going to do this summer? I'm like, you know what? Just we, He should just work a landscaping job and haul bricks back into people's backyards and lay bricks. Like, I mean, that's tough labor. That's not an easy job. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, I think it just teaches you something about yeah. just the way things work, you know? If you don't come back and you're not hobbling over, it's uh, you didn't work hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember one condominium in Mississauga, those condos on Coronation, just north of Dundas. And our father had a mm. uh, pickup truck full of ready mix boxes. You know the the, the tapers Car- mud mm-hmm. that they would be in a box, maybe that's eighteen CGC. inches. But yeah, that stuff, eighteen inches by eighteen inches, already mixed up for tapers. And uh, the hoist to rent on the Saturday was like fifty bucks, and you get the hoist for an hour, and you could just load everything up to the sixth or seventh floor. This was like a thirty-story building. There's four of them there by the Go Train station. And our our father, Nick, I don't know if it was me and you together, if I was, was I can't remember. But he's like, well, no, I'm not going to pay you the $50. Like, there's you guys just carry them up. And we had to carry up, like, I don't know, 60 boxes of this ready mix, like, up <laughs> to the eighth floor in the stairwell in the middle of summer, sweating. And, so, and I remember th- thinking that, like, okay, it was only 50 bucks. But I remember siding with him. I'm like, yeah, I guess we're here. Like, this is what you do. Like, it was normal to me not to well, spend your the labor, fi- your labor cost was, at that time, what, 10 bucks an hour or something, right? <laughs> I think it was 1350 so, I think saved, it was 13 He saved 40 bucks for the card game yeah. later in the yeah. afternoon. Yeah. 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 Another thing our father never did is he never told us to take any, because he paid us like a subcontractor. So he never told us to prepare for taxes. Yeah, yeah. I remember that time you got a surprise tax oh mail. Oh, my gosh, because <laughs> I didn't file my taxes for a few. I didn't know. Like, our, we had no instruction. And two or three years later, after working construction, I'll never forget. It was Mark. I don't want to say his last name here, who's an accountant, who said, Tom, you owe, like, I think it was like $8,000. At the time, it might, have well been a, it might as well have been a million dollars. Had a heart attack. Like $8,000 I have to pay the government? That's I'd crazy. spent all the money on shots at that, that club in Mississauga Richards. <laughs> Beers and shots. Anyway, we're way off. But suffering is good. Yeah. It, it is the way. Um, you guys are, uh, Nick's smiling here. You're thinking about something. Um, Turks, we get a lot of people asking us about buying a property on one of the islands, either in Florida right now or the islands. What can you tell everybody around Turks and Caicos? So from from uh, person, Florida or the islands or Texas now too, I guess. Texas. Because if, if yeah, anywhere <laughs> you're allowed to just live freely has been interesting to people. Um, having said that, we were just talking before we started recording. I know Canadians who have places in Florida who are getting vaccinated down there, and we were joking. I think there's more Canadians getting vaccinated in Florida than there are Canadians getting vaccinated yeah. in Canada. I, I don't think we were joking. We, we just don't have the facts. That we don't have the data. Actually, we don't have we the believe data. that that could actually be yeah. true. For all the years we made fun of Florida, and now Florida's proving to be more competent to get out stuff than, than Canada. But anyway, Turks and Caicos, 
Um, what, so you, can you get financing there? Can you not get financing as a Canadian? What, and then what are the property prices for different property types? Talk about financing and property types. Short answer is no financing. I mean, there are banks down there. So if you land at the airport and then take a drive down Leeward Highway, the first thing you're going to see is uh, CIBC and then uh, Scotiabank on the left and then RBC. But it's not Royal Bank of Canada. It's Royal Bank of the Caribbean. It's uh, Caribbean Imperial Bank of Commerce kind of thing. So they got their uh, Caribbean divisions down there. And they say they'll do financing, but you need to have like a absolutely perfect application. So you got to own like zero properties here, have an abundance of income to support the payments down there. If you have a line of credit here, they'll take your line of credit and assume it's maxed out take that maxed out payment and then uh, uh, use that in your debt calculation because they don't they want to make yeah, sure so, you can so afford qualifying it. stuff yeah it's very narrow so they'll do it but it's very narrow so if you're already an investor and you have three or four properties I would assume just forget it don't give yourself the pain and assume you have to either pay cash or take your line of credit money that's here and just bring it down there either by wire and and you know figure it out and that's what most people are doing from what you're seeing yeah. Taking equity from properties here, using it to buy full cash in somewhere like Turks and Caicos. There is private financing there, but that's from our investigations, highly not recommended. Yeah, no, the private oh, financing. Oh, why? Because it's with some organized crime, and that's why it's like. <laughs> no, it's just too expensive. <laughs> yeah. Like by the time you calculate, it's like 13 to 15 percent. Yeah, yeah, it's pricey. Yeah, it's uh, it's insane, and the terms are nuts. They can take, they can, uh, if you miss a payment, they can take your property within 30 days. Like just madness, like extremely uh, one-sided. Okay, so you have to buy in cash. And now how much are we spending? What are the property types? Can you give us, I know there's so much, but can you give mm -hmm. us just some rough estimates? Not really. I mean, you're either buying a condo or you're buying a single family type villa, cottagey type home. And if you're on, if you're, if you're getting a condo, it's likely on the beach and it, it, they're easy to maintain, obviously, because, you know, the maintenance takes care of everything. But the downside is the maintenance fees are expensive. Crazy, and the condo corporations that run these are a lot of times are a little bit corrupt. So what's crazy though? Like what? Like that's like, sixteen hundred a month U.S. for like a one bedroom <laughs> like place, a, one, one or two, two bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why is it so high? Well, everything is a fortune on the island, right? Oh, and got then, it to get any material labor, I guess, is expensive. And the condo corporations sometimes they're not they're outside corporations. They're like management companies that come in, so they manage it for profit, right? So you're the limit. They'll and limit your um, what you can rent. So if you own a unit, they'll say, okay, you can rent this, but through our pool, then we take fifty percent of all the profits and all this stuff and stuff. So it's it's tough to uh, we found it's tough to make money on this condo. When we first bought it, that wasn't the case because Turks and Caicos was still kind of coming out of the uh, their uh, financial crisis that the U.S. experienced. They kind of got hit a couple of years later. So the, the, the people could rent whatever they wanted. But then as activity started to pick up in like 2018, 2019, the rents on the island were crazy. Then the management company saw opportunity and they passed bylaws to restrict you from renting your own property. When you guys bought though, you didn't buy initially strictly as an investment. You bought it because you wanted a property down there for yourselves. And then you figured, well, you might as well rent it out while you're not there. Is that why or no? It was a lifestyle investment. It wasn't purely for ROI. We could have done... No, I know. So, but it, that's so that that's why it was yeah. primarily. You were like, it would be cool to be able to come down here with the family when we want to and stay at our place. And then when you looked further, you're like, ah, 
I guess it'll generate some income as well. So we, then we want the criteria for us was yes, we wanted it to be something we could use and enjoy, and like it had to be able to at least carry itself. So fifty fifty kind and of. And then so that's a villa, two bedroom, one bedroom, more of a two? cottage, 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 two bedroom, one bedroom, two bedroom, two bath, two bedroom, two. Bath. Okay, and then how much in twenty twenty one is something like that going to cost you? And, and I, I know distance from the beach matters. About five hundred thousand US. So five hundred minimum. 000, minimum. Five hundred thousand for a a two bedroom villa, one cottage, block. Cottage. Sorry, cottage. What's the difference? Because the reason I'm saying is because I didn't know what the, what's the difference well, between a cottage and a villa. Assume a villa is like a more like a lush, a stately home. Okay. More yeah. fancy. Yeah. Okay. Where you know cottagey is more like it literally looks like a cottage, like a okay. beach cottage. Okay. Got it. And this is uh, five hundred thousand for how many blocks away from the water? Oh, like ten minute walk. Ten minute walk. Seven so minutes. Seven minutes. Someone timed wow. it. So that's like two blocks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Paul walks slower. He drags his heels a little bit sometimes. <laughs> Long story short, they, they closed one of the, the roads that access the, the main drag. So we kind of have to go around a little bit. So another three-minute walk, but whatever. As far as the crow flies, it's like... As the crow flies? <laughs> it's oh like God. 800 meters. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Okay. And then um, you guys have multiple... I forget now. You guys have multiple properties there? Now we have two, yeah. Now you guys have two properties and you rent them out. Mm-hmm. And, and you use them for the family. Yes. And you, you know, Andrew, you spent a lot of time in Mexico over the years. Mm-hmm. Any regrets in not buying in Mexico versus Turks? Or why would somebody, I guess the better question, why would you buy in Turks over Mexico or vice versa? So for me, the reason I never, I was always looking in Mexico and Paul and I were looking in Mexico. The reason we didn't buy in Mexico was just the government we didn't trust, which is ironic now that it's 2021. But um, Was that your little jab at the government right there? Yeah, pretty oh, okay. much. Okay, we got it. We, we got it. We didn't trust the government. I know I didn't trust the government and the lifestyle, but I love the lifestyle and the food and the culture, and there's a lot to do. So, but I just, in, in Mexico, you do a 100-year land lease. So you never own the property. You sign like a 100-year land lease, and the bank will own the property for you. Within two kilometers of the beach. Yeah, which, yeah, anywhere good. Yeah. So yeah. just it's the Mexico's way of protecting their the most valuable pieces of land. So if you want to own within two kilometers of the beach, you have to do it in trust. So you need a lawyer there to hold it in trust for you. Or wow. it's a 99-year lease thing. And, and you the, pretty much want to own by the beach. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point? So then you own by the beach, but you're owning the, the property, not the land. So at the end of 99 years, you have to re-lease at the going rate. Some of them are yeah, like that. that they I just make you that you're gonna be, you're gonna die, and they're just gonna take it from <laughs> it you. Sounds like one way the government just gets it back. Yeah. Some of them are like that, or you own you have to own it in trust. So your lawyer holds the, the is, holds a trust agreement for you. So there's someone local, you know, uh, holding trust for you, so you can own that land. Yeah, and that's a level of uncertainty that that you yeah. don't necessarily. So you have want to trust to a lawyer. Get, yeah. Yeah. Because Although it, now it's it's looking more appealing <laughs> within the last year because. Yeah. Oh, because well, I mean, can't. what happens when you don't trust the government here? When Mexico yeah. is the most trusted government in North America, we know you got problems. Yeah, this can put us down. <laughs> yeah, we can take we can take these comments. I Side can, notes. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. But I, but I guess is the, but I'm just confused. What does the family trust get you? Because you're saying the land lease only applies to foreigners. So it's in, in and I'm no expert, but yeah. in my investigation, it was either a 99 year land lease, or uh, you could own it. But you needed to use um, uh, a local person. Okay, got it. To hold it in trust because, because lo- you don't have citizenship. But if you had citizenship, then you correct. Yeah, okay, correct. Because they don't want non-citizens owning all the beachfront beach yeah. 
It actually, probably is a good of, thing. Costa Rica is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, I could see it. that. Costa Rica is the same. It's common. Okay, but Turks allowed you to have outright ownership. Well, it's freehold ownership. Wow. Yeah, it's because that's a tiny island, which is, is amazing. Because then you have freehold ownership over two of these places now on Turks. Mm -hmm. That's pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's an act. Lots of expats there. I mean, that's that's their whole business as an island. Got it. And a lot of Canadians living there just a full time around the year or more as the lifestyle properties come and go? Both. Yeah, got it. A lot of Canadians own businesses on the island, which is cool. Restaurants and like development companies. And got it. Real don't, estate. Don't play with that. We hear it on the thing. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, a lot of Canadians that actually have done well in Canada just moved down there and our lawyer is a Canadian and different like different people that are only you know business owners so now when you owners. reflect back when you purchased that first one were you in over your head financially you did it like when you shouldn't have done it financially like was it a stretch and do you have any regrets on that and i'm asking that question because we get so many questions about people saying hey guys i know we should buy for cash flow only we should be smart investors but i'm looking at this property either in northern ontario or you know in florida yeah. or in the islands and our answer is always like hey you're gonna live so at a certain time in your life, you're going to have to make this purchase. Yeah, not everything makes investment sense. Like sometimes you just, it's a lifestyle, per like like you you said earlier, it's a lifestyle purchase. I mean, with well, look, even the place that we have in Croatia, it was, it was initially, we thought we would be renting some of it out when we, or we were renting it out some of the time when we weren't there. But then we ended up liking it. We're just like, we don't want other people staying here. So we just don't. So from an investment standpoint, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's been great for the families every year to go there. Well, the the the, the term we coined, I don't know if we coined it, but the term we use when we were teaching about it in our classes was, you know, our ROI was low, but our ROL was through the roof. So we got a, a low R return on investment, but a really high return on lifestyle. I think you learned that from me, actually. Yeah. I don't no, so. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted a place down there because when I was growing up, I didn't have a cottage and I didn't, none of my friends had cottages, but I heard about people with cottages and it seemed like a lot of fun. So, so you didn't want a cottage. So you're like, you know what? Well, and I don't like the cold, so I want my kids to have a cottage, but somewhere nice. It just, sound, it just sounds <laughs> somewhere nice because other nice. ones aren't nice. Yeah. Somewhere just, sun, where the sun shines. You just wanted to be able to say you had a place in, in, in Turks. Just sounded cool. The, the ring of it. You know what? Actually, Paul went down on vacation to Turks, and he was the one that sold it first. So the, the first time I was in Turks, I was already looking at houses. Mm -hmm. I had never been to yeah, that. Yeah. Island Paul does have that knack. Whenever Paul comes from anywhere, because we bought a property kind of almost just quickly when Paul said in Oakville here, remember that one off Kerr Street? He well, because like, he'll look at you like you're stupid. He'll yeah, like, so look, Paul just, he's like, this is a stupid. good deal. Why are you guys not buying this? Well, right? I'm yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. No, you do have a knack for picking that kind of stuff up. So I just wonder, I guess now we're just going to have more. I, I wonder over the next 10 years with everything going on in the world, COVID, non-COVID, the way everybody sees different governments reacting around the world, I wonder it's going to become more and more normal for those who can and I guess I'm answering my own question. It is going to be more normal to just have multiple properties around the world if you can. I know that's not open to everybody, but if it is and you can do it, it gives you the freedom to just go to different places that might have different regulations at any time. It's like an insurance this is going to be a thing. It's basically an insurance policy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, uh, not my favorite, but a lot of people listen to that nomad capitalist kind of guy. And he's got the same message or sovereign man. And they, those guys have been preaching it for how many years now? And it's just becoming more and more of an asset because of what's going on. It gives you a certain sense of independence knowing you can go somewhere else. Well, I think right. now, especially over the last 12 months when, when, you know, almost no matter where you live, like there's, with what happened with the government policies and stuff like that, they've just really, people are like, you know what, the, all the things that I thought couldn't happen or were a real, you know, maybe they were a conspiracy theory. And, you know, a lot of things that we thought even 12 months ago were a conspiracy theory have now proven to come true just a year later. 
they're now people are looking at it like, oh shoot, man, maybe this isn't such a bad idea after all. This some of this stuff that, that you're talking about, sovereign man stuff, maybe this isn't far fetched after all. Yeah. Like this can actually happen. This guy's not fear mongering; he's actually making a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. A, a bunch of people have brought up nomad capitalist specifically to me. This is a guy who travels the world with multi. He's pretty much independent. He has no citizenships anywhere. Yeah, just he figure- revoked his U.S. citizenship, and he he's got a company that helps people, you know, set themselves up in other countries or with other governments and get passports and oh that's what he does so he has a business that helps you get status wherever you want yeah he'll consult for you basically there's a a bunch of small ones that do that but he seems to be the big one so a question on that on for turks do you guys have status there like you're you own property there but you're not a resident i guess you're not a citizen yeah but can you land there anytime owning property so in the middle of all the lockdown stuff can you go to your own property Mm -hmm. if you it's essential yeah got it but, but they couldn't stop you. No. no. But you're not a resident and you're not a citizen, so yeah. you would think they could stop you. It's challenging to get, well, I shouldn't say challenge, more challenging to get a citizenship there. But it doesn't come with any great benefit because from my understanding, and again, I'm no expert, uh, Turks and Caicos is a lot like Cayman and where it's an expat community. Like they rely on expats going there and buying real estate and bringing their money down there. But if they wanted to lock down that island, you're going to have no legal status to get to your property. I I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just thinking out loud. Well, like that's they the did. Key. They did lock down. The challenge was, was with the flights. So when this was all happening, Turks didn't really have much COVID. And then eventually they, sh- they started getting, they're like, oh, no, they have an outbreak. There's like eight p- cases. And then so they actually locked down the entire That's a big country. outbreak because an outbreak's considered two here. So that's a that's a that's a huge one. <laughs> yeah. Quadruple break. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that was a they, quadruple break. They shut down um, the airports. And they actually shut down everything for it was like two, three weeks. And it was actually pretty smart for them and then they all and then they were fine. Then they didn't they were slow to reopen because they didn't want people coming down and then eventually they just kinda of reopened. So what is it now down there? You just need a negative test and you can you can just go. get a negative test yeah. and then you just came in, you got a quarantine for 14 days. Yeah, not Turks and Caicos. But when I looked at Cayman, it was either in a government facility or if it's a private facility, you have to wear a monitoring device. Yeah. Really? So no? Had, no, I, I swear. <laughs> that's what Cayman is to go down because we've we've been looking at going well, down. All the to, billionaires are in Cayman. So just, that's just one way of saying, yeah, get, don't come here. Keep let's the riffraff out. Let's face it. You can put any regulations you want. How many billion do you have? Oh, you're just a single billionaire. Yeah, you don't come down here. Go to some someplace else. Because if you're living on like a beachside Cayman villa that is like amazing, you'll put the ankle bracelet on. Who cares, right? But if you're not, um, for you guys though, that's smart. Like, Turks can just throttle who they want in and on by flights, just not allowing certain mm-hmm. flights, and then that takes care of it for them, mm-hmm. whether you own property or not. Yeah, I got it. Okay. We were looking at, what was the other island? St. Kitts. At St. Kitts. Because St. Kitts, if you spend over a certain dollar amount, you get status. You become like a, I don't know. Well, there's a, th- there's a process to be able to get. There's like a, a laid out process to be able to get some sort of status there. If you spend, you have to spend a certain dollar amount and hold it for 10 years on, on property. Or you spend a higher dollar amount and hold it for five years, or something, something like that. Something like that. Right. We have the we have the websites, and we've been in touch with some of these people down there. Just because yeah. we thought once things open up a little bit, we'll just do a tour. Cayman, Turks, Saint Kitts, check all these places out. And it's it's a, it's a work tour. Like that's that's oh yeah. This is yeah. we're researching. Right this, this is us. researching to share with everybody on yeah. this podcast here what we we're research. sacrificing our yeah. time for. Wait, wait till you try and get an appointment with someone down there. Then it's going to feel like work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's funny though. We, we, in St. Kitts, we came across a Canadian lawyer, 
And yeah. that was very valuable because they kind of respond to you in Canadian time. Like, you know, sort, they, of. They, sort of. Yeah. But that <laughs> seems to be pretty valuable. And they put us in touch with a realtor down there. So anyway, we have some contacts. We haven't gone yet, but uh, that's going to be our next step just to check this out. But because what you guys have gone done in Turks, we're super interested for, with Turks. The, f- the funny thing I learned, and it just came out and said, I can't remember if it was Nomad Kappas or Sovereign Man, one of those two guys. He said, where you buy real estate is not necessarily where you want to have a passport. I was like, oh, because everyone, each of those things provides different benefits in different areas. So depending on what you want to do, it was, it's worth it to check out these different Okay, places. so you've thought about this somewhat. So then where do you want to have a passport? Well, based on your lifestyle and what you want to get out of it, that's what you have to research. And that place may not be the right place to buy real estate. Yeah, got it. Or got to it. invest in real estate. Yeah. Okay, so Turk, anything else about Turks that we should be, you know for that you guys have learned over the years? Renting it out has been pretty straightforward. Airbnb. You mm-hmm. get good. Yeah, rent. people are still coming out. You guys cash flow these. Pro- you guys didn't buy them at these prices. You bought them years ago. So you're cash flowing on these things. Well, we paid in cash. So yeah. Oh, it's yeah, all yeah, cash zero flow. Debt. Yeah, yeah. Got but it. yeah, okay. in the height of it, we were doing really well with Airbnb. Uh, so how has it been now? Slower. It, no Canadians are coming, and we used to get fifty percent Canadian, fifty percent American uh, people staying. Now it's really all just Americans. So no Canadians at all. Very few. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very few. Since. Because it's such a pain in the yeah. butt. Yeah, and nobody knows when you land back here, the pro, how it changes, the real process, yeah. these fines. We're still now. getting it rented, but not. We're not. You know, we're not. I'm just surprised much. you don't see like one out of every ten is like a Canadian, but nothing. Maybe something like that, but yeah, it's not nearly as many. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, and then what about um, what you guys are building for your families? You guys both have young families now. You guys both moved recently into different properties, and wh- wh- you're older now since we first got to know you. When you look at your kids now, what's what's important? What's not important in your lives? Again? Andrew's lost the least hair out of any of us, though, yeah. officially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm losing yeah. it, though. No, I gained some. I said, yeah, the, yeah, I said the least. I said <laughs> the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do you, so in today's world, what's important for you to share with your kids? Is it books, lessons? What, what do you guys, when you think of your kids now, what are you trying to teach them? Uh, I, I, similar to what you were saying, you know, that, that struggle. Like it's, uh, I see a lot of kids in general having a really sheltered lifestyle and not experiencing, you know, struggle or. Do you make your kids sleep in the backyard in the rain? No. <laughs> no. Kids, uh, I, I picture Paul's lessons to his kids are like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go into the forest and I'm going to tie you to a tree and I'll come pick you up in 12 hours. Okay? Isn't, there, isn't there a story of Richard Branson's mom dropping him off like days away from home and just saying, get back home? I know, you would, I know you wouldn't do that now, but I'm pretty sure that's an accurate story. I have no idea. But uh, okay, so that crosses your mind. Yeah, well, they, 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 they have to know that there's some consequences that you know, mommy and daddy aren't going to be there you know, every single time to bail you out. I think it's, it develops poor habits when they're young, right? So. And how does your wife respond to the lessons that you try to teach your kids? Well, she's more of the nurturer for sure, naturally. Yeah. But I think there's a good balance. There has to be. Yeah. Well, how do you, so how do you teach your kids that? Like, how do you do that? Well, just for me, it's, it's just like, hey, if you do this, sometimes I let them do stuff. And I'm like, there's going to, you couldn't get hurt or there's going to be a consequence. And I'll just let them fall off the chair. And then they cry. And it's like, well, now you learned. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, where, you know, my wife, rightly so, she'll, you know, she's always trying to make sure everything, nothing's going to happen to yeah, them. Yeah, bubble, bubble kids. That's what, yeah. I, that's what I call with it, my it, wife. That's what I tell them. Like, we're raising the kids in a bubble. Yeah. Let them hurt themselves. Let them fail. Let them do stuff it's bad. It's okay. And that's the way I was, but just 
from a lack of no supervision and it, it seemed to serve me later do you remember when you were a kid <laughs> you used to just go outside like you would just leave the house at whatever time it was a saturday and you know sometimes it was ball hockey sometimes i ended up taking off to the store with friends whatever i'd leave the house at you know 11 in the morning and I'd come back at yeah. like five or six. And my parents had no flipping clue where I was or what I was doing. That's the way it worked. But now it's like if my kid goes out of sight, like if she turns the corner for 35 seconds, my wife's like, what, what's going on? Where, where's we're, the kids? I'm like, it's okay. We're it's learning okay. that at home. There's so many kids on my new street that it's like, I let her out, Isabella out, and she's six, almost seven. And she'll go to whatever, whoever's house. And Laura's like, where, where is she? I'm like, well, she's there. And then five minutes later, I'm like, Laura, but she's going to be there in five minutes. So. You can't chase her, you know. She's gonna be. You have to trust her. And when she makes a mistake, that's that's how they learn. She's not gonna read a book in an instruction manual. What about what? How old is is how old is she now? That's your oldest. She'll be turning seven in September. Yeah, got it. Okay. And then Andrew, how old's your oldest? He's seven uh, this month. So how are you thinking about this kind of stuff? <laughs> you so, forgot it. Yeah. You no, forgot seven, what day? No, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what do you What do you think to yourself about these lessons? Yeah, same thing. I mean, they're seven, so we're too young, I guess. Now you got to just let them live. No, I, yeah, I just pretty much just let him do what he wants. What I'm actually, I, mean, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'm teaching him right now to be true to himself, in the sense because he knows that this mask stuff is bullshit in school, and uh, and he so he'll pull it down. And then I'm telling him, like, no, it's okay to tell a teacher no. Tell a teacher you can't breathe and pull it down. And, and actually, the teacher's been all right because I guess she knows. But even, like, they'll send picture updates and whatnot. So what, they take pictures of your kids when they're not wearing their mask properly? No, no, they take pictures of just what the kids are doing. Oh, I thought like, you meant. Accident. No, I thought no, you meant like, they were taking a picture with the mask down no. and sending it home. I'm like, holy shit. But it's interesting because I'm, I'm trying to explain to him about being a leader because in, at recess, he won't wear a mask because they wanted him to wear a mask. So he won't wear a mask. I thought they weren't wearing were a mask there. Yeah, it changed. Yeah, it changed. So, uh, yeah, long story, I put them in the school just because they didn't have masks. And then they ended up coming out with masks anyways. Oh. So at recess, they won't wear a mask. And then now the other kids are starting to pull their masks down when they see him not wearing a mask. But he knows. Like, he just you can't breathe. So I'm like, if you can't breathe, then just don't wear the damn mask. I think it was in Spain last Wednesday. There, is this true? The article. I, I actually didn't read any of the articles. I did see headlines, and I <laughs> okay, believe so I don't it know is, what I'm about to say know. isn't true, but I feel like last Wednesday, Spain mandated that anyone on resorts you have to wear masks while you're sunbathing and swimming. <laughs> uh, and I just I didn't even so yeah. To be fair, I did not read the article. I cannot verify what I just said, but I thought. Wow, because I'm pretty sure waterboarding is like a form of torture. So if you go in the, if you swim with the mask on, I'm not sure that's going to be too successful. But this yeah. way, wherever you go back, you'll have a nice tan on your the face, tan line and everybody to, will know to, how yeah, idiotic yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, uh, just say no. Yeah. So so when you're so but no but on that point, so you're you're you, you feel it's um, in your son's best interest to. Um, think for himself. Is that what you're? Yeah, talking? I believe. Yeah, and I don't want to not get political here. But I just believe everyone. Like it's your body and your choice. And he tells me he can't breathe with the mask on. Mm -hmm. So if you can't breathe, you take it off. Mm -hmm. If somebody puts their hands around your neck and you can't breathe, you knock them out. Like you just have to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's one of your primal needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think life. it's important. Like I mean, if you can teach your your kids to think for themselves and to not follow. Whether it's masks or anything else, mm -hmm. but you know, and and you know, maybe they want to wear a mask, and that's their thing. Well, then wear your mask you want to, right? But if you can teach them to gather information and then make their own decisions based on that, versus just following what everyone else does, or you 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 know, someone makes an announcement that you you everyone else just listens to, so then you listen to as well. It, I there's something missing there. I, I, it's such a valuable skill, but I think that skill is being 
it's eroding yeah yeah exactly it's eroding and and so it's it's one of the most important things the next step after thinking for yourself is you have to uh at least i encourage her to ask questions so it's like yeah okay it's this why why can you explain this please no i don't take orders from you excuse my body my choice you know what i mean you're invading my personal freedom here there's i mean if you think about it like back maybe years generations ago you were told to just blindly um obey adults and whatever adults said but then a lot of adults abused their power and abused children and the children didn't say anything because then they're okay well a grown-up did this to me well so if, if, if a grown-up is going to try and abuse my child's right to breathe i want my child to be able to stand up for themselves yeah well even if mm-hmm. we take it away from us for a second and let's go to finances right because you guys have bought a number of properties here you bought it in turks so you walk into the bank if you walk into the bank, what, what do they teach you? You're taught the bank is where you go for money and investments. There's signs up because I was there the other day and I looked at all the mutual fund signs all over the oh, place. God. And I'm like, so if you just listen to what you're told, they're told to, you go to the bank for money stuff and then you listen to someone at the bank, whether they're, they just started there two days ago or they've been there 20 years, but you listen to that person for their investing advice and then they would guide you towards mutual funds, primarily often they go towards the bank's mutual funds first because that's where they get comped the most. And that's the way things go. And if you don't ask questions, and you don't look any deeper than that, that's what your your investment pool is. And then where does, I mean, have you, uh, has anyone ever met anyone that's like gotten further ahead financially from their mutual funds? Being like, yeah, <laughs> I really hit it big with these funds that I bought. Like, the I most, don't know, maybe it exists. The I've most common it. comment over 14 years of doing this business, 13 years, 14 years has been, I have some mutual funds in my RSP They've never gone up or down. Like they've gone, yeah. they've just somehow managed to just completely stay flat. That's or during their job. The fin- yeah. Financial crisis. Even if you look at the stock. They've gone down, but then they've just stayed flat. And I'm talking like for a decade. It is fascinating. I've watched some of my own mother-in-law's statements on some of this kind of stuff. And it just stays flat. Like it doesn't matter what's going on with the, unless there's a big financial crisis, then it goes down. But then when it resettles in, it just kind of stays flat forever. Like it's it's fast. It's it's a fascinating industry. You gotta ask questions. Like you guys both okay, so, young asked questions about financial stuff early on, and then you guys both went and seeked out information. I remember you early on before you met us or, or after you were already at Vegas. You went to some conference in Vegas, some investing conference, if I remember correctly, in California or in California, right? So like, and that you were how old at that at that point? Twenty three. Yeah, so at twenty three, you're already asking those questions and searching stuff out. Like it makes a big difference in your life. What, what do you guys t- uh, tell people now about real estate prices? Because that's changed a lot since you guys started investing to all this and researching. What do you guys, so prices in the market now, What when someone's a new investor, not an experienced investor, someone new looking at the market, how do you tackle that conversation? Oh man, it's, it's so many different ways. It depends on what their initial question is. So my initial question, should I get into real estate right now? My if So if someone asks me something along that lines, my qu- first question to them is like, uh, maybe what's the alternative and then i wait till the they develop a blank stare in their face and then i say well here's your options which one do you think and is you're better? asking the alternative because you're going to explain that real estate's one vehicle that has a lot of advantages that can't be matched well i just say okay well what about stocks what about crypto what about something else what else have you, it's on your mind that you thought you might want to invest in and what about real estate here's the historical well, here's what's happened in real estate. Here's what's available to us. Here's what we project to happen. And we're not, we don't have crystal balls, but this is, this is what's here. And you're obviously here interested about real estate. So why don't we talk about it in a little bit more detail? Can you find properties that pay for themselves or produce cash flow? Sure you can. 
And the, so if you get one of the, what, what's an example of that kind of property? How far out of the city are we going? Uh, Toronto. I know we're all out of the city, but I mean, so for someone listening to this who's not familiar. So we're still in Hamilton or Kitchener or Barrie or, or London and St. Catharines and Niagara region, same similar areas. We're going a little bit further out to get some better prices, but Brantford, all these, all the same places we've been in, this, in, the, in the last decade. And we don't have a crystal ball, but what do you tell people you expect going forward? Are you using just historical appreciation? Mm. Or, or how do you outline where you think property prices are going to go? I, I just, you know, eventually the conversation leads to, okay, why is this happening? Well, it's like, well, interest rates are insanely low. And uh, there's incredible uh, immigration and demand for property more people are coming there's less real estate we can't build as much to supply the demand we have a lake to the south of us we have a green belt on top of us we're essentially sitting on a real estate island what do you do if this if you believe this trend exists what's going to happen five years from now do you think interest rates are going to go up or low or higher or lower if you think they're going to stay the same or go lower how can you not invest in real estate that's my question andrew do you have a similar approach yeah, I mean, it's also all pretty much uh, aligned with that. A lot of people are asking, you know, can you cash flow and where's the price is going? The reality is, is once upon a time, you cash flowed with 5 or 10% down. Now it's 20% down. And I tell everybody soon it's going to take 35, 40, 50% down to break even. And guess what? People will still be buying real estate because what else are you going to do? Right? And then the question of whether it keeps going up, well, can Bitcoin, if Bitcoin's up, uh, stock market's up, house prices, groceries, uh, hockey cards, every gold, silver, if everything is up, is everything up? Or is the purchasing uh, item that we use to, sorry, the, the means of measure, which is cash that we use to measure against all these items, is it down? So everyone's like, oh, the housing bubble, the stock market bubble, the Bitcoin bubble, everything's in a bubble, or is the dollar just trash? Right? And I don't know. I'm not saying it's one of that. Maybe it's a combination of both. But if they keep printing more money and we have more money chasing the same amount of goods, then all of these assets have no choice but to go up. Lumber, steel, I mean, everything. So you have, so the biggest threat then, I guess, if I think of the real estate market, are two. There's supply, demand, cost of money, right? And your ability to have income to qualify. So I, one of the most immediate threats to me in this area for real estate would be I think the banks are going to keep lending unless there's a major credit crisis. They're going to lend. Rates we know are going to stay low. Supply is not going to be increased any dramatically because all the developers, actually, we should get a quick update on your development. Uh, All developers just struggle with regulations and getting approvals from the city. So it's not like supply is going to triple in this area in any any meaningful time. But then um, the biggest threat is going to be um, the continued massive population growth to me. Because, I mean, there's incomes. Can we keep qualifying for higher and higher prices? But I guess the biggest, one of the big drivers here has been population growth through immigration. And I'm wondering during these times, 2021 and going forward, if that can, if our pull or attraction for new immigrants continues the way it has. I think it's going to. But but, but even if it doesn't, there's five or what, seven years worth of pent up demand just built up to our marketplace. Yeah. No. So even if it took a break for a couple of years until this nonsense goes away. And it picks up even at 50% of what it was before, we're back where we started. But what's your opinion on, on that on Canada? I'm curious. Do you think this area will be attractive to immigrants over the next decade? Like, what's your gut telling you? And, and why? I, I couldn't speak for living in another part of the world, but it seems like 
Canada's a really popular place for people who want to immigrate and, you know, have the chance for a better lifestyle similar to the USA, right? And fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to describe it, the liberal, you know, federal government policy has opened the doors. So that with it being an attractive place to come and, you know, that government policy, how does it slow down? Andrew, what about you? Has there any bigger threat than that? Like, or what, what, would, what would it take for the real estate market, in your opinion, not to continue how it has? What would be the biggest threat if you had to? I know none of us have the crystal ball. Just what, what comes to mind for you when I say that? I don't know. I mean, I don't I, I see it. Um, it's because I don't think it's so overinflated right now. And I, I know a lot of people send the story with bacon. When I started investing in real estate, bacon was $2.99 a package. And a house, the starter homes were $300,000 for these starter homes. Now these homes are 600000 and a package of bacon is $6. So bacon versus house, I'm no wealthier today than I was 10 years ago. Other than, you know, my tenants have been paying off my mortgage for me and I've been cash flowing, which is good. But other than that, I just could have spent 300000 worth of bacon 15 years ago, and I would just still have the bacon, except it'd be rotten right now. So bacon versus house, I'm no wealthier today. The only difference is everyone complains, oh, bacon prices are too high. I can't afford bacon for breakfast, and I'm still eating bacon. So I don't think that, like, if the housing market were to crash, I think the bacon market has to crash, the Bitcoin market has to crash. The lumber market. Lumber, like, everything's going to kind of go down um, accordingly. So I don't really see that. In terms of immigration, I think I don't think that's going to slow down either. So what the heck is our biggest threat to this housing it's, market? It's, the like, ban- it's lending. That's kind of what it boils mm-hmm. down to most of the time. Will the, will the credit market collapse? It's a massive def- No, it's a massive deflationary thing that takes everything down to that point. Yeah. That's the biggest one. So yeah, maybe it's interest rate causes that or something causes it and eventually deflationary forces take over and everything comes kind of crashing down. But the central banks have already come out saying they're... Like they're not come out, they're doing it. They're they've been fighting this de- these deflationary forces for the last decade by printing more and more money. I don't think they're going to be like, okay, you know what? We've decided the last ten years of us doing just enormous money printing, it's not we've we've realized we're not we're, it's not going to work. We're going to let deflation take hold, and then we'll kind of figure things out after that. They'll the, never will. No, they're just they're 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 digging their heels in, and they're going to go further and further. So but places, but that's like the risk. Places like Sweden, they have hundred year amortizations. Yeah, does Sweden have 100-year? I know, I knew Japan did. I, yeah. I, yeah. So I'm not saying we're getting 100-year amortizations anytime soon, but that's another way they can kick the can down the road. And even if properties do increase and the, they allow the banks to still lend, it's one way to create that affordability factor in their in their debt ratio formulas, right, and how they qualify. Yeah, and I think that that's going to happen too. I think that and I'll tell a lot of investors that I work with that what's going to happen is it's, it's like a moving train. And the, right when you first get on this train of real estate, it feels like your arms are going to get ripped off. But you have to get in. And the prices seem high now, but the prices seemed high at 300. The prices seemed high at 100,000. The prices will seem high at 2 million. So the prices are always going to seem high. Eventually, there's going to be haves and have-nots. And if you have the real estate, you can refinance and leverage the real estate you have. And a lot of investors now are actually refinancing and pulling HELOCs out of their primary residence to buy rental properties. Ten years ago, people were just coming with cash, it seemed like, right? So I don't think that that's going to change. I think it's just going to be that people who have real estate can leverage that real estate to buy more. And they'll just be families and generations that have real estate. And then everybody who doesn't have real estate. 
Did you guys see that Financial Post article from like last week? No, two days ago. Nick, I think I sent it to you. And I, it's some banker in Canada here saying we have to figure out how to get Canadians to spend because obviously bank balances have gone up. This is in the article. It talks about how people's savings have gone up. And it, uh, well, it was need, a TD CEO. Yeah, I right? think it was that person. And they said, we need to get Canadians to spend that money. And I just thought, how atrocious is this? Like, we have come to a place in our lives where we've decided savings is bad. Like, we literally have the head of a bank talking about people having too much savings. Like, what, we have gone completely not backwards. The ba- not just the bank, we have the finance minister. Yeah, the, the finance head, minister. The head of finance like, in we've the lost our minds. When we think savings is bad, and, and it's only bad because our currency is a debt-based instrument. If our currency was not a debt-based instrument, we, savings could be good. I think this idea, like I want someone to ask the finance minister, why do the banks have savings accounts? Like why, you know when you, I don't know, when I was a kid, you went to the bank and you opened a checking and savings account. You know the buttons on the, on yep. the ATM? Do they, do they still say savings, yep. I think, yep. right? What's the purpose? Like why do we have that as a bank? I just want to ask, you know, the head of the IMF, the head of the Bank of Canada. Why do we have this savings thing to hear what they say? I, I would love to hear he's, what they say. He's probably he's delivering the right message, but in the wrong way. I mean, well, I'm not that old, but like when I was growing up, the motto was cash is king. Now I would say cash is trash. So if they're telling you savings are bad, maybe he's got a point. Maybe you should take your savings and save. If you If you still want to save money, save money in a different form. No, and I agree with that in today's money system, but I have a philosophical problem that that is the way. Like, I agree with what you're saying, like cash is trash. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And to Andrew, to your point, getting in the real estate market, it feels like your arms are going to be kind of ripped off because it's moving so yeah. fast. But you're right. We're all in that place where that's what you have to do. It is wrong that you have to think that way is my point. But yeah, the, one of the few ways for, for Canadians to, to protect themselves are to get into anything but cash and get as many hard assets in your life as possible. It's wrong, but like, and I'm, I'm no market genius, but the market seems to have a way of always correcting itself. So if they want to, anything that's manipulated eventually goes straight to hell over a period of time. <laughs> but look, look, look at things like Bitcoin. All of a sudden, there's a thing here that's way better than cash. At least that's what I think. And there's still gold. Holy shit, Nick. Someone else brought up Bitcoin, not me first. <laughs> you, Holy you, shit. You no, did. no, 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 no. He brought that up independently. No, I you, didn't even plan to see You didn't say the word, but, but based on your little rant right there, you basically said it anyway. So <laughs> no, Tom yeah, brought but, up but savings that, and but, Paul brought up Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that, that, yeah, you're right. You're right. There, at least there's, a, there's other alternatives now, for sure. It's back to what Nick's saying about people not asking questions. So if, if the, we had a... Sounds terrible, but if the, the general population or the consensus was to not follow orders blindly all the time, you know, we might have more people who uh, buck the system and the banks would be forced to change. It's tough to introduce somebody to the idea of hard assets, though. Like, it's unless you read, that's why. Well, books sometimes, to be fair, guys, sometimes people just have bigger problems, right? Because there's a lot of people that they're like, look, I don't give a shit about cash or Bitcoin right now. I need to feed my family. So, so there's a big percentage of the population, and, and it's, it's been exasperated by these policies, yes, but, you know, if you're, we talk about immigration a lot, if you're a new immigrant trying to start your life here, and you're trying to find a place to live and that type of stuff, like, there's other problems that are more important to you in your life than this as a problem. And Agreed. It, it's more survival. So it is kind of a little bit, and, and maybe, the, and then they pro, people progress past that problem because once they get those kind of needs in place, then maybe it's, it's time to go down that. But it's like, it's not applicable to, I just think, everyone under any circumstances. I, I think the conversation is more important for people who 
might consider themselves to be in the middle class because those are the, pe the people that are having their lifestyles eroded by what's happening. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, the, the, the thing that blew my mind was that Tiff McClellan, I don't even know how to say McClellan? his name. McClellan? Yeah. Bank of Canada yeah, governor. That clip when he basically just said, he goes, yeah, our policies, if you operate in cash, you bear the brunt of the policies, meaning that like your cash gets whittled away into nothing. It's invisible tax. Right. So... Yeah, and that, and I guess, so Nick, I hear your point. We bring that up a lot. I think that, you know, people have other problems. It's just I feel that when they walk into the bank and they see RRSP season is like, you know, going to end and make sure you max out your RRSPs and mutual funds. I'm like, that's where I want people to read more and get more information because I just feel that that's not going to get them ahead and get them the freedom that I want. And I know I sound crazy when I talk about like that. The, 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 the cheesy analogy I always use, and I'll sit there in front of a new investor and say, you know, what do banks or what do dogs do? And they'll stare at me like I'm an idiot and I'll say, dogs bark. And what do banks do? <laughs> great analogy. Okay. Great I want to have, one, I no, have one of these meetings this. with Paul. Let's, let's hear the end of this. Keep going. I sorry. say, what do banks do? Banks lend. See, I, dogs almost, bark, banks lend. Yeah, well, no, it's no, what no, it that's is. good. I've used it different. I'm like, if you go to a dentist, they're going to find a cavity. If you go to a lawyer, they want to sue somebody. If you go to the bank, they want to lend. I've never used, what do dogs do? Before. But it's <laughs> but it, I'm, I'm coming at it from the point that it's instinctive I would have said them. dogs yeah, piss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then what? Dogs bark and banks lend. It's, it's their instinct. You can't blame the bank. If people keep buying the crap, then they're going to sell crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's almost like a cultural awareness. Like there's lack of education there, and it's uh, sucks. I agree with you. How did you guys start working? You guys weren't investing together because you were investing separately. Did you start investing together at a certain point, and then you kind of started doing more like you know kind of before Turks? I mean, before that whole episode, did you guys start doing stuff together? How did that even come to be? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, oh. I guess we started buying properties together. So it was a drunk. It was a drunken conversation at a bar sometime in your uh, in your twenties, and yeah. it just yeah, well, that worked out. Mike, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It was like a drunken conversation at a rock star member event. Or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was those. Were, I was going to say those. That was valuable alcohol. <laughs> Coming back now to families for a second, I think with with my son turning nineteen, I, I don't. I'm, I never thought I would do this, but I'm thinking I'll. I want to start just flat out paying him to read certain books. And I used to think this was bad because I, I didn't. I wanted him to come to his own conclusions, right? Like I'm not going to pay him. He's got to figure this out for himself. Anyone told me what to do, but now I think I can. I can sabotage his own thinking somehow by forcing him to read certain material. So as his father, I guess, Andrew, do you, you know, it's your point, the discussions yep. you're having, I'm thinking, okay, if I can just get this information into his brain, then maybe it'll, his context will change and he can make his own, own conclusions. And I'm willing to pay for that where I never believed in that approach before. My, my, my motivation was always tying it to a need or a want. So, Hey, you want a new bike? No one, there was literally no one to pay for it for me. So I had to hustle it. So if, Hey, I wanted to not be a poor schmo for the rest of my life. I had to read these books. I had to go to California. I had to, so, you know, if you find out what his motivation is, maybe you can tie that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I jump on a lot because I know he likes the NBA, uh, those playing cards a lot and that kind of stuff. So if I can jump in on that and turn it into a little business and it's fun and he enjoys it, I want to nurture that and kind of share some lessons around money kind of through that thing. What's and your motivation? Is it, Are you guys motivated by money? You are. I'm pointing. I, I, I'm pointing I, I at Andrew as I say that. Right? Is, yeah. No, but no, but uh, fun coupons. No, but I mean, there's a yeah. But like, look, in our society, you, there, you, just for for safety and need to fulfill needs and stuff like that, there are financial requirements. I get it. But some people are more money driven than others, and I don't think it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because some people are more like help the world driven by others, but they'll they'll do it to a fault 
just like some people will chase money as a fault because they'll just only care about helping the world. They don't help themselves and then they leave themselves in a, a poor situation. Then you can't mm-hmm. help the world any longer because you're not helping yourself. So I don't mean it as a bad thing. I'm just wondering what is your, do you guys know what your driving factors are it, when you used to be, I, you get money and you have options and then, you know, and then, then it just became a means to an end. You know, uh, I, I went through a point where I worked myself into a place where I was almost got myself sick. And then you yeah. realize that, you know, money isn't going to make you better. So it's it became more about lifestyle. It's, hey, I want to get this or do this or be able to live my life this way. So I need to get some money or get another property so I can do that. And, and what about you, my, my primary, mo- I mean, a large part of my motivation is money. But my primary motivation is the health and safety of my family. Mm. Right. And so money helps with that because money's not important until you need it and then it's too late. And we, we work with this charity and this year we were working with a charity and uh, this girl named Chloe, we gave her some money. But basically, she needed um, um, an injection before she was three years old and that injection, I can't remember, it was like, it was like, two million. Po- like 2.8 million. Like not even reasonable, not even like 500 grand and so she could raise that. Like it was almost, something like $2 million. It's almost like criminal. Two, like, yeah, you know. criminal. $2 million for one injection and like a, one needle. And it's like, come on, like there's nothing on earth. Like I don't care what's Especially in for that. for a child, you know, that age, if you can so, help them. And then actually, and not to get off topic, but other countries around the world, and I know like Portugal, there was a couple kids that had this and they just gave it. The government just paid for it. And so at the same time that uh, our government was stealing, you know, 50 to $100 million into their own pocket, they couldn't just give $2 million for this thing. So I don't want something like that to happen. That's like my biggest fear, right? And then we were trying to help those families and stuff like that. But that's where money is my, my motivation because with money, you can help out families that need that. You can help out your own family. God forbid you're in that situation. I think you're saying the same thing. It's you know, yeah. what, you, what you do with the money. I don't understand yeah. though. Like the, the Canadian government was going to charge her 2.8 million. No, it wasn't approved by, it wasn't a, an approved medicine in oh, Canada. So okay. OHIP wouldn't cover it. Got it. So you had to go yourself. So you had to go to the But States, it was everywhere right? else. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So in Europe, it was approved. So their healthcare system paid even for it. No, actually, I think it wasn't approved. I don't even know, but I mean, I think it wasn't approved. I think the government just stepped in and did it anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, in any case, it's it's just having that kind of freedom, um, and just spending time with your kids, right? Like spending time with the kids, going on vacation with your kids, doing things with your kids. And uh, Paul, how did you almost make your? How did you make yourself sick? Can you just outline that for everyone? Uh, well, I mean, at one point. Uh, I, I was a full-time fireman in Toronto and uh, uh, full-time working with investors, very busy, and then had a sizable portfolio of properties, plus had three kids at home and a wife. So That's that was it? like yeah. Sounds like you weren't busy. Yeah. <laughs> Soft. I took every You should have worked in more construction. You would have been tougher. Yeah, I, and I had a, before I bought real estate, I had a roofing company. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so all, all four of those things at the same time like nearly killed me and uh, just uh, I had to uh, 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 you know decide what was important to me and, and, and adjust my lifestyle so I could continue doing the things that were important to me and so you cut out firefighting was one of the things you cut out yeah I, I tend not to say cut out but I had to it was you know it was you I had, had to, make to pick a something and you know real estate and doing what I do was very important to me and gave me more fulfillment and so that's what I chose. What's the update on your development? Any l- new lessons that you can share there so that you can just outline? Well, outline <laughs> How much time do you have? Yeah, there? no. Well, outline what you guys have been up to, where you're at, and the, the latest lesson. Uh, well, I mean, Andrew has a bunch of properties. I have a bunch of properties. We have a bunch of properties together. And eventually, 
you know, we got looking for something that would challenge us more. And then we, we decided to do some developments. So we, we did some small ones and then we ended up buying a piece of land uh, a couple of years ago in Font Hill, Ontario. I probably don't know where that is, but it's just outside St. Catharines. Actually a nice community. And uh, we're going to build 30, 30 townhouses and a little five-unit condo. So uh, we learned a lot of lessons doing that. We're almost to the end of that process now. I think that's another call altogether. But um, uh, it, it's cool to challenge yourself because now that uh, experience kind of opened our uh, eyes to different things that are available and um, it gives us a whole new skill set. So if we can't, if for some reason we couldn't find properties that cash flow, then you know we can make money in real estate doing something else fairly easily now. Well, I shouldn't say easily, but we have the formula up here. And shovels are in the ground? Where are you at? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. shovels are. So when is the first completion? I don't know, when's the first person be moving in? This fall, winter, early winter. Got it. Yeah. And um, dealing with the city there was, uh, you're, through, uh, you're through all that phases, so now you've partnered with a builder to yeah. do this, or you've hired a builder? No, uh, our, our par- one of the partners in the development is the builder. So, I mean, he's responsible for doing that, that part of it, so he's managing all that. And as soon as this one's done with everything you've learned, you're going to parlay that into another project like this, I'd imagine? Or oh. no, you stick with different projects? Uh, I don't know. Guess we'll have to see what comes up. Yeah, yeah. When will you be totally done this this project? So first units done at beginning of winter. I when do you think you'll be totally done? Is it a year, year and a half of everything here? Yeah, I would. Because there's so. another phase, right? No, I mean without making it a long story. Yes, there, we were building 18 right now, but there, there's obviously more. It was 35, like I said, units in total. But uh, the 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 lender we were using, and I won't mention who, kind of changed the terms on us last minute which forced us to sell, not forced us, but it, 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 the business of the development made 10 times more sense to extract the profit from those uh, unbuilt lots because the, the, the value of the land had increased so much by us achieving what's called site plan approval. So once we get that final stamp from the city that, hey, you can build this, the value of that raw land goes up dramatically. So it made tremendously more sense to, to sell that, recover the capital, and then basically take that capital and give it back to the bank, which had changed the terms on us last minute and made it more, uh, they wanted more liquidity from us, put it that way. Is there an opportunity in Ontario now, or, and I guess I don't know what kind of deep pockets you would need just to go around buying land and getting it to site plan approval? Because developers <laughs> just want to, or, or is it just too high of a risk? Because that's the kind of thing like big guys will do, like Raybrook and those guys, they're buying land, yeah. taking it to site plan approval. Sometimes they go through with yeah. developers, sometimes they sell it. So I guess it's just too, the, the, the pockets you need are too deep because you don't know what the city's going to throw your way. You need, you need cash. It, it's not rocket science. It is, it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's not, it's never an event. You never arrive. It's just like one problem and then another one and another one until you finally, you know. What about just buying infill projects, a house that you then rezone to get it zoned legally for a duplex or sever a corner out? Could there be a smaller niche in just doing that? It's very profitable. It's just, just with the challenges in the marketplace, it becomes hard, very difficult to find that, the right property. You know, we have someone on our team now, Spencer, that's what he how he built his portfolio and he's he works as a civil engineer and he's got that know-how in his brain and uh, he likes to do it and you know not it's even challenging for him to find opportunities and do that so it can be done i don't want to discourage anyone but it's it's not like we're going to go out next week and find a property Mm -hmm. for that 
All right, guys. I mean, uh, always fun to get catch up with you guys, see what you're up to. You guys always have different opinions on, on a bunch of different stuff. Anything else you want to share? Uh, you know, hey, by the way, I'm joining the Tesla Club, Andrew. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I got, well, apparently I'll get it at the end of June. I share that because Andrew is a Tesla guy. Andrew gave me a concussion in his Tesla because you have like, what is and it? you loved what it so much. <laughs> I love it. I said, oh my gosh, you can get your own concussion. Why do I have to get a concussion? <laughs> no, because you put it in ludicrous mode or whatever. Yeah. This is like two, three years ago. Andrew gets a Tesla, says, Tom, let me take you out in the Tesla, puts it in ludicrous mode. I'm looking forward, looking at him and he hammers the, I was going to say the gas, but I guess it's just the, the, accelerator. the accelerator three or four times. I come out of that with a concussion. And I had symptoms for bad symptoms for about two months and symptoms for on and off for like six months. So I actually never thank you for that. that. I've yeah, never thanked so. <laughs> you. But now I decided to get a Tesla. And when the guy said, hey, do you want to get like, because now it's plaid and plaid, like there's yeah. long range plaid and plaid plus. That's how they are calling them these days. Plaid? Plaid. Yeah. Ludicrous mode sounds so much better than plaid. Yeah, plaid plus. I, I always Who's think that marketing Elon. company no, that I, changed I, that? I always think it's just Elon just saying, giving an F you to everybody, just saying, I'm just going to do exactly what I want. But uh, the guy's like, do you want, your guy, by the way, he's like, do you want the like fast one or whatever? I'm like, no, no. Is If there's a turtle mode, I will take the turtle mode test. <laughs> there is a chill mode, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. So <laughs> chill you can, mode. You can drive so if anyone sees mode. me driving around, I'll be in chill, <laughs> chill mode. But guys, thank you for everything that you do with, uh, you know, I know you work with it, your own investors. You work with a ton of rock star members over the years. Um, you guys are definitely interesting guys who are not shy to share your thoughts on stuff. And I think the, the beauty in what you've done over the years is you have a great heart. So I know we talk about, you know, you talk about your, you know, we've been talking about money here a little bit and cars and Turks and stuff. You've been helping people for over a decade now and uh, we really appreciate it, man. So thank you for everything you guys done. We know it's not easy. Paul, watching you go through everything you've gone through over the years. Andrew, starting a family, seeing everything that you've juggled over the years. If we haven't said thank you before, we totally appreciate it, man. Tom and Nick thanked yeah, us thank by you. introducing us to Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll share that story another day. Yeah. We'll share the little bet. Oh, that I we think made. you've shared that story. No, no, no. Times. But <laughs> Paul and I had a conversation. I had to trick him to get involved in Bitcoin. We'll just leave it. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Appreciate it. Oh, is there? Do you guys want to? Is there the Fawn Hill web? No, Fawn Hill sold out. Is there anywhere you want to I share? I have nothing to sell you. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> nothing to sell. All right. Yeah, but thank you guys too. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. See ya. Hey, everybody. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Paul and Andrew, a bit of a catch up with them. And if you want to come to the same training class that they came to when they started their journey about 10 years ago, you can visit our newly updated website at rockstarinnercircle.com and hit the investor training button. And you can get access to that where you save yourself a seat at the next class that we are doing. It's a 90 minute class where we discuss all the strategies that we're working with real estate investors right across the Golden Horseshoe. So for that, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.